My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Now, we're going to do something different today because my sermon is in my school book bag, which is in the closet waiting for me to go to school tomorrow. The sermon and I did not make it to church at the same time. However, if you know me, and I think you do, you know I did my study and I did my research. So would you grab a pew Bible in front of you? And we're going to go to Luke chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now, Luke was, of all the gospel writers, the most concerned about the historical Jesus. Matthew wanted us to know that he was the Messiah come. Mark wanted us to know that he was a man of action to the Romans. John wanted to fill in the gaps that the other three had missed. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptics. John fills in the gaps, but Luke was the historian. So in this first verse here, he sets for us the political scene of what was happening when John the Baptist was ready to speak. Here's your odd question for the day. How many popes are there? Six? Popes. Popes. Today, how many popes are there? Actually, there's two. A backup one. I like that. No. Um... A few years back, Pope Ratzinger was of ill health, and he stepped down. But you can step down from the office of Pope, but once they make you Pope, you're still Pope. And then they elected Pope Francis. So at this moment in time, we have two Popes. Did you know that we've had a woman president? Happened about a week ago. Uh, President Biden went in for a colonoscopy and they transferred the power to Miss Harris, right? And for a moment, she was the president. So at that moment, we had two presidents. See where we're going here? At this time, there were actually two Roman emperors. Augustus, the child of Julius, was the emperor and the Senate were afraid that he was going to start a dynasty. So they actually passed a law that his children would not be the new emperor, that the Senate from that time on would pick the new emperor. To get around this, because you know politicians are good at that, he appointed a co-regent whose name was, you have to look at your Bible, Tiberius. At this moment in time, we have two emperors. Now, which one do you listen to? That's a good question, isn't it? Do you listen to the dad? Do you listen to the son? Do you listen to the one that's living in the palace? Do you listen to the one that's on vacation out on the Greek Isles? The Roman government was in turmoil. Well, let's keep going down. So the 15th year of Tiberius, Pontius Pilate is governor of Judea. Now, we've heard that name. We'll hear it a lot at Easter time. He was given the difficult job of reigning in these crazy Jews who did not want to be reigned in. So Pontius Pilate is the governor, but we already know that political uh, uprisings are taking place. Let's keep going here. And Herod, being Tetrarch of Galilee, 
his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Traconitis, and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene. So I don't know if you notice that, Philip actually has two tetrarchs. Here's what happened. Israel, country, conquered by the Romans. The Romans came in and divided into four parts and said, you are no longer a country, you are four tetrarchs. They took the authority and the shape of their country away. That would be like somebody conquering America, I hope it never happens, and then dividing us into whatever many pieces they want us to be. We want to say we're from New Jersey, but now we're from the Tetrarch of fill in the blank. It was a very clear uh, message from the Romans to the Jews that you are under our command. We've got turmoil at the top. We've got turmoil in the middle. We've got turmoil at home. And I want you to know that for many years, archaeologists thought that this was a, a misprint, that Luke was wrong, because Licinius, in the Roman records, was a governor in Africa about 30 years, 50 years, I'm sorry, before this. They were excavating in Caesarea Philippi, and they found an inscription, and guess what the inscription said? Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene. So the archaeologists have actually backed up the historicity of Luke, which I find to be fairly cool. Let's keep moving down. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests. And it's funny that he just blushes over that because the people reading this would have known, but you don't know. Annas was the high priest from 8 until 15 AD. He was in charge. He was the patriarch of a family of priests. He was so controlling that the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees voted him out. They took away his role as high priest. However, he had what we call in psychology informal power. And he chose the next high priests for many years. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. In fact, in the next 20 or so years, five of the high priests were Annas' sons and one was his son-in-law. And the one who reigned the longest as high priest was Caiaphas. Now see, when we read this, we don't, we don't see all this history in here, but think about it. The Romans are in turmoil. The governor's in turmoil. The country's been divided into four parts. Nobody's happy about that. And even the leadership of our local congregation, the temple, is in flux because the guy who wants to be in charge isn't allowed to be in charge, so he put his son-in-law in charge so he could tell his son-in-law what to do. Wow. All of that in the one verse. Let's keep going. And, and if you notice, he just glossed over it. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, if you happen to have a son named John and you happen to have a degree in biblical languages, the first thing you do is look up the name of John. Jonathan means gift of God or God is gracious. So the gift of God came to the people to bring them God's message. I like that. There's stuff hidden here all over the place. And he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance 
for the remission of sins. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to start a public ministry, should you do it on King's Highway or on Ormond Avenue over in Oakland? You should start it on King's Highway. Why? Because literally thousands of people pass by our ministry, our church, every day. Now, my mom lives on Ormond Avenue over in Oakland, and she lives in a cul-de-sac. It's a fancy word for dead end. There's no through street. You go down and you leave. She's not seeing thousands of people. So the Jordan River, if you remember, divides Israel straight down the middle, or as rivers are straight. And he preached around the Jordan River. Why? Because thousands of people were passing north and south. All of the um, traders, all the people visiting to see family. Uh, If there was a traffic report, that's probably the first thing they would have said. Well, the road by the Jordan River is having a tie-up down by Bethlehem. Because that's where the people were. The gift of God took the message of God to the people of God by the river of God. That's good stuff. And what's the message? So here's where it gets a little deep, and I'll try not to go too much. He preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, I much prefer the word forgiveness of sins, which some of your Bibles might say, but let's divide this up. If you're taking notes, the word in Greek for repentance is metanoia, M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A. If you want, after church, I'll teach you how to write it in Greek. Now, I was taught when I was a child that it meant turn around, walk away, 180 degrees. But what it really means is, you ready for this? A change of mind. Let it go. Which reminds me of my favorite joke for first graders. Why can't Elsa have a balloon? She'll let it go. (laughs) Now, I want you to hear what the message says. Forgiveness, let it go, change your mind. God says, if you confess our sins, I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God has no trouble letting it go. Who has trouble letting it go? We do. We need to learn to forgive ourselves and we need to learn to forgive the people around us that have hurt us, even if they don't come back and say a heartfelt, I'm sorry. Or that lack of forgiveness, that lack of letting it go, will eat your soul from the inside out. So the first thing he says is a baptism of repentance. Folks, you gotta change your mind. You gotta let it go. Why do we have to let it go? So that we can experience God's forgiveness. They go together. God forgives us, but if we don't forgive ourselves, we're going to carry that burden around, a burden that God doesn't even recognize for the rest of our lives. Some of you have a list in your heart of the people that have hurt you and wronged you throughout your life. And every now and then you get the list out and you look at it and you say things like, Ratza, fratza, razza, razza. I can't believe they did that to me. And every time you take out that list, your heavenly father shakes his head and he says, why is it so hard for you to forgive when I've already forgiven you? Why is it hard for you to forgive them when I don't even remember it? Let's keep looking. And he came into the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we've talked about sins many times. That's the Greek word amartian. 
means miss the mark. And if, if you're taking notes, I'm sorry, the Greek word for forgiveness is apsiv. It's A-P-H-E-S-I-V, aphesive. As it is written, now this is what we heard. We heard it when we lit the Advent candle. We heard it in the scripture. We heard it from Handel's Messiah. We're now going to quote from the book of Isaiah. As it written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough shall be made smooth. Well, there's really four things in here. One of them we talked about last week. You've got to prepare. And like we said in the children's sermon, most of us, if we're honest, are not ready for Jesus to come back. There's things in our lives, there's things in our hearts that we're carrying around that we are not letting go that our Heavenly Father would be disappointed in us for the way that we think or the way that we live or the things to which we are still hanging on. We need to prepare our hearts. Number two is, he says, make his path straight. And I don't know if you know this, but if a Roman emperor or a king were coming to your town, they actually sent a work crew out in advance to fill in the potholes and to make sure that the road was smooth so when his chariot or his carriage came along, there were no bumps. I wish I had somebody like that. There was this pothole near our town, right when, we, right when we used to get on 55, and that thing just got bigger and bigger. It was like big enough to swallow a pregnant hippopotamus. And there was, there was no way around it. When you turn the corner, there was not enough room, and you were going to drive through that big pothole. Jesus says, when, when I come back, we're going to fill in all the potholes. The potholes for me, are the hurts in your life. The things that have happened to you, the things that have not happened to you, that leave those emotional scars. He says, we're going to fill them in. Number th or make them straight. The next one is the valleys. I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead. Uh, did you know that sometimes we get stuck in, our own, in holes of our own digging? My best friend often says, you know, the best way to get out of a hole, stop digging. We dig holes for ourselves. We dig financial holes. We dig social holes. We dig holes in our family. And then we get stuck in the hole. We go, why isn't God helping me? And God says, you dug the hole for yourself. You have to fill it in. Back to forgiveness. You have to let it go. The last thing he says, we need to level the mountains. And I want you to think about this. I was reading a book called uh, The Humanness of Bethlehem. And he, the author is looking at all the characters in Bethlehem and how delightfully human they were. And one of the things he says is, we are taught from an early age who to look up to and who to look down on. Now, everybody in this room has a different uh, measuring stick of who to look up to and who to look down to. One of my favorite Oscar Wilde quotes is, you can never be overeducated or overdressed. And if you've ever met me, I usually like to do both of those. I want to know stuff and I want to look good while I'm knowing it. 
So then what do I think of people who aren't well-dressed or aren't educated? What do you think of people who have certain jobs that maybe we don't want to do? Or certain sports teams or certain political parties or we are constantly dividing the world into people that are like us and people that are not like us. And the author, Isaiah, says, we've got to lower that. We've got to put everybody on the same level. Because when you get to heaven, he's going to say, did you know Jesus? Yes, I did. Well, were you a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent? There's no second question. Were you a Dallas fan or an Eagles fan? No second question. Did you go to the Baptist church or the big Catholic church across the way? No second question. The mountain has to be made level. John's message to the people in Israel and Isaiah's message to the people in Judah is exactly the same as God's message to us today. Are you ready? I don't know if you know this, but 33% of you, while you're shopping, will buy at least one gift card for a store or, you know, a visa or an American. 33%. 32% will give a gift card to a restaurant. I was meeting a friend for dinner last night, and I wanted a hamburger, and I knew, I knew, because Danny gave it to me, that I had a gift card to Red Robin. Yum. And I looked and I looked and I looked and then I called somebody. You know where my gift card to Red Robin is? It's in Virginia. Now here's the scary part. Between 2005 and 2011, Americans did not use $41 billion worth of gift cards. Because you've all got a drawer, don't you? You got a drawer, a place in your wallet, or with your wife in Virginia? Somebody gave you a gift to a restaurant or to a store, and we're not using it. That's where John is. John says, my name is Gift. God gave me to you to get you ready, because the real gift is coming. It's not a punitive gift. It's a celebratory gift. God wants to bless each and every one of you through the gift of his son. And our gift cards are in the drawer. The last word I want to look at today, and I'm sorry that there's so much Greek, but the Greek really spoke to me as I prepared this sermon. The last verse we read today is verse six. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, flesh is just a fancy way of saying people. We're flesh. The word that really spoke to me is the word see. If you're writing it in your notes, it's O-P-S-E-T-A-I. Opsetai. Now, Greek, just like English, has words that have multiple meanings. And I want you to just hear these and write them in your notes if you're taking notes, because these are powerful. The first one is the obvious. It means to see with the eyes. All flesh will see with their eyes the salvation of God. The second one says this. It means they will know. All flesh will know, understand the salvation of God. The third meaning is this. Experience. Experience. 
So let's put it back into the sentence. All flesh will experience the salvation of God. And the last one has really three meanings. They're all, if I, I usually say two sides of the same coin, but I don't know what has three sides. So you have to work with me here. It means recognize, heed, or beware. For those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, you get to recognize the salvation of God. For those of you that have not yet made a decision to be a follower of Christ, but you're leaning in that direction, you might need to heed the salvation of God. For those of you that are far away from God as the east is from the west, and you've not even considered your place in the kingdom, well then, you would need to beware the salvation of God. Get those four in. You can see with your eyes, you can see with your mind, you can see with your experience, or you can recognize. The gift card has already been bought. In fact, it was delivered. We celebrate that on December 25th. The gift card has already been bought. The question is, are you going to use it? Amen.